0: Here is iUniverse Radio with host Steve Jorgensen.
1: The title of the book, Empower Your Inner Manager, Essential Skills, Self-Assessment, and Effective Planning That Secure Successful Careers. And the author is Ian R. McIntosh, and Ian joins us now on iUniverse Radio. Hello, Ian.
2: Hi, Steve. Uh, Good to be on the show.
1: Great to have you here. Uh, Of course, in these times, these really tough economic times, we better be able to uh, empower our inner manager because uh, we're probably not going to be able to be successful like we think we should. I'm sure that's one of the reasons you felt uh, a desire to publish your book.
2: Yeah, the... um Um, In my uh, current role as as someone who runs a a standards organization, something I founded uh, over a decade ago, I tend to talk with a lot of um, people every day of different levels of seniority, managers, some junior-level managers, a lot of middle-level managers, and a lot of very senior guys and CEOs and so on. And um, the reason I wrote the book is that when I'm talking with those folks, I find that in this very tough economic climate of the last five years, more and more people are struggling, you know, to how do they manage their careers. Most go by the method of banging their heads harder on the wall, you know, and uh, just working harder and longer hours. But very few people that I talk to ever seem to have a method, uh, a process as to how they actually manage their careers. And that's what this book is about. I thought I could uh, bring something to the table here, so I wrote this book. The issue is to manage your career and not just sort of – see what happens, and uh,
1: go with the tides. Well, you say that the book is a hands-on guide for aspiring managers of all levels and from any industry. It it will empower readers to recognize their own skills and weaknesses and, and then develop an economical, personalized plan to further their careers and target desirable management positions. Well, I guess uh, it's a, certainly a process here. Uh, is it a great challenge for us to do this self-assessment to recognize our own skills and weaknesses?
2: No, no, Steve. In fact, that's exactly what the book's about. Um, what the book does is say, look, what are the types of skills, the generic skills that all managers should have? Like you say, irregardless of how senior they are, uh, what company size they work in, there's a big corporation, a small one, whether they manage a few people, a lot of people, what industry they're in. They could be in electronics, Medicine, finance, retail—it really doesn't matter. If you manage people, you, you, there are generic things that you need to do, and that's what the book uh, really helps you with. It says, "Look, here is the skill set." I list about fifteen of them. Skills such as problem solving, uh, interpersonal relationships, delegating, motivating—you um, know, being a team player, time management. A lot of people have trouble with that. Public speaking—it shows what these skills are and very briefly introduces them to you. We're not trying to teach people these skills. There are lots of other folks, other books that teach these skills, sometimes in different groups, sometimes as books, sometimes as courses. I'm not trying to teach you those skills. I'm trying to summarize them for you very quickly and then get to the main purpose of the book. What I want you to be able to do is to look at your career. Where am I trying to go? Pick, even pick a specific uh, job that you might be targeting or position and go, Look at that job, and I show you how to assess that job and figure out what skills does that job have that I'm going to need that I don't have now. So by presenting these skills in a short form, you can assess, one, do I have those skills and how good am I at them? Two, for this new job, how am I going to have to, am I going to, have to develop them? Then I just walk you through a process with the book of saying, okay, these are the skills I'm going to have. This is the priority on them, and we develop a plan. A plan that works for you, not just you know generically. Go learn all this stuff. Go figure out the things that are important for you to learn for your career. And hence, we have a personalized plan. And this book will just walk you through the process, very hands-on, very easy to use, and a fast read.
1: I think all of us might say that these sounds like com. These sounds like complex ideas, but at the same time, we want to emphasize something you just mentioned. It's the short form, and you really work very hard at keeping it short and sweet.
2: Yeah, actually, Steve, you hit the nail on the head again. Um, Some of them are complex ideas, but the beauty of the, the book, that was where the effort went, was to make the concepts very easy to understand. As I said, for anyone, it's a quick read, but a comprehensive read. When you look at a skill, understand what's really involved in it, basically so you can assess your competence in it. And then assess, uh, you know, understand it well enough to figure out, boy, that is really something I need. Or, you know what, I'm competent in that. I can leave it for now. But, again, the critical thing is, do I need it for my career path? Do I need it next? When do I need it? It allows you to literally plan out your career. Let's face it, Steve, you know, if people um, are hiring for a position, a a job, they don't hire somebody that might be able to do the job. They want to hire somebody that's demonstrating the skills and performance that they know is going to be a, a success when they hire them. Let's face it, the, the hiring manager wants to be a success too. He's going to pick people who can demonstrate the skills proactively. You have to invest in yourself, especially in such tough times.
1: Well, and given those tough times, even more important than ever before, I guess, for career advancement, you've got to deal with some issues, these, these fundamentally uh, such important issues of self-reliance and self-investment, and that's what you're uh, showing the manager uh, how to do.
2: Yeah, that's exactly it. You, you have to accept, I think, I think anybody who's investing um, in uh, you know, the, the area of self-development and learning about the, the management techniques, they've probably come to realize that you can't just um, float along through your career hoping things will work out, hoping, you know, if I keep my head down, do a good job, I'll get that next promotion. It's not how it works. It's um, the, the marketplace. I, I've been reading, Stephen, I'm sure you have too, in the last week, you're reading how the, the, uh, the marketplace, the job environment has become a lot more competitive. Jobs are fewer, more scarce. They're harder to come by. And, frankly, positioning yourself as a, a viable candidate means you have to invest. You have to accept you must invest in yourself. You must invest in your career. It's a proactive behaviour. Things don't tend to just work out and in tough times, frankly, if you're not investing, the guy next to you who wants the job or is in that company outside that you don't even know about, he's investing in himself. He's positioning himself or herself to be the best candidate. So and we... better get on your horse and uh, you know, get the tools you need, be proactive and develop yourself to be able to move forward in the career direction you plan and want to personalize yourself.
1: And we want to emphasize to everyone that Ian is a hands-on manager with over 30 years of experience.
2: Yeah, I've, um, I've been around uh, a while. I uh, worked in the fast pace of Silicon Valley, as you say, for over 30 years as an executive. I was, um, I was educated in England and a master's of science in microelectronics, started out as an engineering guy in design, and I moved to the States in 1980 into Silicon Valley, And the reason I moved here was to take my first management job. I saw, you know, evolving myself as a uh, a, a generically capable manager would sustain me throughout my career, even though the types of jobs change for people. We all know that people's jobs will change somewhere from five to ten times throughout their career now. And I recognized this a long time ago. So I was always very interested uh, as as an executive and working for very small and large corporations, well-known places. Several startups and whatever, I recognised that you know being a lifelong student of management techniques was important, uh, both for uh, out of necessity and out of curiosity. Frankly, it's just an interesting subject area for myself.
1: Now, do you walk us through some kind of, uh, of a process? Do you is it uh, the type that is simple to kind of uh, this assessment, self assessment that you're advocating? Uh, is uh, the tools in the book to help us to go through this assessment?
2: Yeah, it, it's the, um, the book literally is a hands on walk you walking-through-it style of book. It's written you know, as a, uh, in that format um, of uh, enabling you to walk through a description, say, of a particular skill, understand it. It doesn't ask you questions about it, but it immediately says, okay, now you've read about this, how good are you on it? Make an assessment. It gives you sort of all the charts and uh, and and tables you need to be able to record, you know, your own assessment of where you are with a skill, and and also of course to look at a particular job. Go look at that job. Get your own opinion of the skills that are required for it. Um, What am I going to be able to do that I can't do now? Talk to HR people. Talk to friends or whatever. It tells you, gives you a guide how to do it, and you know, it's a process. The book just walks you from step to step through the individual skills and through the process of understanding what you need to learn and how to learn. The book itself, after every skill, gives lots of references. If you say, hey, I understand this skill, I'm just no good at it, and i better learn it, and it's a high priority for me, it allows you to put that in a format, have a uh, develop a little schedule of what you might want to do and when, keep an easy record of where you are at any one time. And it also provides you, you know, guidance as to specifically where I need more information. There's recommendations there as to, hey, this is the sort of thing you should do with a training class or just get it through a book. It, it gives you search terms to find information. really points you in the right direction. It's really, it's an aid. It's something you can use throughout your life and uh, refer to. You can pick it up and, and, uh, any time you need, and you can jump back into it. It's it written uh, very nicely just for as a to be used as a reference guide. As I said, for anyone, regardless of his seniority, this book has something for you.
1: And most rewarding for you is the kind of feedback you're getting from readers and users.
2: Yeah, that's exactly right. I I ran into uh, some people who had early access to the book, and it was funny, I got both ends of the spectrum. I got one guy saying, boy, I wish I'd had this 15 years ago. You know, he's somebody who was really, you know, very senior guy, um, works in a, uh, you know, high-tech industry that really has sort of put all his value into his job and his career and, and the direction he's going just by working hard and doing the best he could and so on, uh, but has never really invested in developing himself and developing his skills. Let's face it, if you just, you know, beat on a job, uh, you know, it's, it's documented now, there are books available that will tell you. If you just work on something and keep working on it, all you become good at is just that. Well, if you want to be promoted to the next position, by definition, that position will have responsibilities and things you need to do, and skills you'll need that you might not need in the current job. In fact, normally won't. Otherwise, you know, anyone can do anything, by of name. So the bottom line is that you know you, you have to you have to evolve yourself. So I, the, this uh, friend of mine said, "Boy, I wish I'd had it 15 years ago, you know, because it would allow me to you know plan out better and be more proactive about my career, focus on me and how I move forward and how I evolve myself." and present myself as a better candidate exactly the things that the, i wanted to say with the book and at the other the spectrum i got young people you know a few years into the first management role managing a few people actually in the banking industry one guy said boy this is exactly what i need you know i've got a hands-on guy going forward it'll cut out you know all the wasteful time of just going off and reading into subject areas that may or may not prove critical For his particular needs and his particular career, which are all unique,
1: it's a proven process, methodical approach. Uh, This book is for anyone and everyone that wants to, you know, to follow their dream in their career. Uh, Ian R. McIntosh is the author, and the book title: "Empower Your Inner Manager." Essential Skills, Self-Assessment, and Effective Planning that Secure Successful Careers. It certainly uh, is the type of book that everyone needs to study and practice. Uh, Ian, tell us how to get your book.
2: Well, I think all that remains to say is that um, it's available as just a paperback and as an e-book online at um, Amazon.com and most major outlets. I think uh, every manager should have this uh, book in their hip pocket or their purse as an essential reference guide, uh, reference and guide for to help them throughout their careers. I'm sure anyone getting, on, uh, getting a copy will find it a, a great asset that will help them throughout their years.
1: Thank you, Ian, for being with us on iUniverse Radio.
2: You're more than welcome.
1: Have a great day, Steve. Bye-bye now.
0: You're listening to iUniverse Radio. We'll be back right after these messages.
3: Ready for the most current feel-good gossip? Then check out Daytime with Donna with your host, Donna Intercastle and sidekick Nina Fry. Every Friday afternoon at 2, 1 central on toginet.com. You're Donna is a charismatic, market-driven entrepreneur who was part of the team that founded iVillage.com, which is the largest content-driven community for women today. Donna and Nina are here to empower you, motivate you, and encourage you in all aspects of your life. It's like Oprah on the radio, plus your chance to win great prizes all the way up to a $500 Visa gift card. For more on Donna Intracasso, check out her website, introink.com. Then join us for the show, Daytime with Donna, with your host, Donna Intracasso, and sidekick Nina Fry. Friday afternoons at 2, 1 central on toginet.com. Evermore, people have the means to live, but no meaning to live for. Until now, these discussions were historically in the hands of priests, ministers, and scribes, then to philosophers, psychiatrists, and psychologists. Now, these deep discussions are where they should be, in the hands of individuals, on the air, with you. Talk TalkSense Radio, The Meaning Connection, with your host, Mary Simaluka and frequent contributor, Alexander Vesley. Friday afternoons at 3, 2 Central, on talkinghead.com
0: Welcome back. To iUniverse Radio with host Steve Jorgensen.
1: The title of the book, Hippocrates Weeps, an indictment for the American healthcare system. And the author is Dr. J. Williams Evans. And Dr. Evans joins us now on iUniverse Radio. Hello, Dr. Evans. Hi, Steve. How are you? You have some very strong feelings about what's happening in today's medical. Uh, system uh, the way patients are treated uh, of course the from your point of view the dominant role the insurance companies play in this whole process Uh, i want to read just a couple thoughts from you uh, that you've written just to set the stage you say we need a revolution in thinking and compassion one that focuses on the health of our entire nation and does not whittle off some individuals from access to medical care because they are poor, our minorities have sexual orientations different from those of the majority, are developmentally disabled, have no political clout, or work in small business. We need a revolution of enlightenment that results in our focusing on providing universally for health care of all our citizens. So. You take a very, I would have to say, very uh, purest view from the Hippocratic Oath, don't you? You believe that you're, you're a doctor to serve and to, uh, as the Hippocratic Oath talks about, do no harm. Right. Well, tell us a little bit about yourself, doctor, from your, your background and why you felt a need to write this book.
4: Well, I've been a physician for about uh, 44 years. And... The book was developed over about 20 years, and whenever I'd get really frustrated, I'd write a little bit. And finally I decided, well, I better put this all together and uh, uh, let somebody read it and see if I can find people that agree with me. Um, The Hippocratic Oath is one of of many oaths uh, that that various uh, graduates of medical schools make. Uh, The common themes are that you should treat patients to the best of your ability, that you should put the patient's medical uh, need or medical condition um, at the top of the list of what needs to uh, be treated, and um, that you should also, first of all, do no harm. So um, it says. Uh, Part of, part of the book is my reflections on my development as a physician, and then part of it is um, kind of bemoaning the fact that I think we've gotten away from um, what Hippocrates was preaching in terms of allowing other things to come into play, and um, uh, not, not just treat the patient, but treat the insurance, treat the... Uh, technology, treat everything, treat the business interests of the uh, uh, area, the place that you're working. So all of those things are starting to uh, take up a time that should, should be uh, going to patient care.
1: Health care should be a right, not a privilege, you say?
4: Yes, I think so. We're one of the, we're probably the last major country to provide universal health care for our citizens, Um, and we've been at this a long time. I mean, Harry Truman uh, preached uh, that we needed uh, universal health care, and so every administration to one degree or another has tried to take up that banner, but um, we haven't done very well at developing it.
1: Help us understand what a chronic illness chronic condition is, and often how that doesn't play out very well, especially with today's insurance company uh, mandates
4: well uh, chronic conditions are things like diabetes and and um, illnesses that go on for a long period of time um, in in psychiatry, my specialty. Um, Illnesses like schizophrenia or bipolar illness are co- considered chronic conditions. There was a time that some insurance companies just refused to cover um, mental health chronic conditions. Uh, then there was a uh, a Mental Health Parity Act that was passed that uh, no longer can that happen uh, because, like any other chronic condition when an illness like that hits a family it can be devastating and that that's the reason we have insurance to take care of the devastating events in our life
1: but there are there's a line in the sand right that is drawn and if you cross that line often you don't get any uh, more medical care or the doctor doesn't get paid
4: that's true um, it's uh, there is a line in the sand that if you exceed you the, the total benefit uh on a monetary level then uh the doc you you may just accumulate all sorts of debts and not have any of them paid for
1: can the government really require citizens to have health insurance
4: well that was one of the uh, questions before the supreme court and uh they ended up saying uh yes they can um the um the, the problem with um, as we look at the total picture for our country, you know, we, we are in tough economic times. I understand that. But if you look at the profits that the health uh, care industry has, uh, insurance industry have made, they haven't, uh, they're not suffering because of our economic times. And uh, one of the requirements of, of the new uh, reforms are that. of premiums have to go back into patient care. And, uh, you know, in California, I know (laughs) there were, of the, when they, that's just recently gone into effect, uh, there were six huge companies that had to pay fines because they're not, still not doing that.
1: So patient care is more of a commodity today than a priority? Exactly. I think that's true. And so how do we solve this, doctor?
4: Well, we um, we get back to letting doctors be doctors and uh, not taking up all the time with paperwork. Um, we uh, make their benefits, the benefits that we give to all our citizens, uh, to be potable, meaning they can uh, travel to a new company if the old company isn't. Um, are taking care of you properly. We make it that people are not eliminated from the uh, process by a pre-existing condition. We expand our pool of providers of, of, of insurance providers so that the risk is spread throughout the system and that nobody is unduly um, um, damaged by taking too great a risk to provide care. Uh, we uh, we make uh, the doctor and the patient the primary um, provider or primary decision makers, um, and that, then we have oversight uh, to the whole system that um, um, eliminates excessive paperwork and administrative over costs and things like that. We also have to have ombudsmen, people that will. Be uh, advocates for the patients when they're not getting what they need. That that will probably be done by uh, nurses who are particularly well trained to do that sort of thing. Um, they um, we need to include all of the healthcare providers that we have available in some way for uh, um, medical care that's been proven to have uh, uh, benefit uh, by. Uh, like um, physical therapists, uh, even chiropractors. It sounds blasphemous for a physician to say that, but um, I think some chiropractic care is uh, absolutely helpful to people, uh, and we have to make uh, make sure that we maintain confidentiality and patient privilege. Um, they there should be. Um, um, uh, decisions about what is appropriate care uh, that, that should be made by uh, physicians in health care, not by some administrator, um, and that the profit motive needs to be uh, contained, like like the law that says that 80% of uh, premiums have to go back into patient care, uh, 20% Uh, profit uh, margin is a pretty good one and shouldn't be, um, you know, it it shouldn't be that objectionable to any insurance uh, company. Uh, Then there needs to be federal standards that are established for um, the, the health industry, and they should be universal so that we don't have a difference from from the care in California and the care in Mississippi, and um, if if we have the standards in place, then people are all going to get equal care. Um, and um, then I believe, uh, as a physician, that we ought to renew. We ought to be asked to renew our Hippocratic Oath periodically, uh, because I've never been asked to do that in. 44 years of practice. Uh, I do it because I occasionally reread the oath and think, am I doing what I should be doing? But, you know, we ought to, we ought to put a a structure to that. So all physicians are um, looking at how they treat their patients.
1: You come to this uh, critical uh, thinking from a unique vantage point. You say, I believe I am in a distinctive position to share much of the frustration that is beginning to pervade the experience of all doctors of medicine
4: yeah that's true i've uh, you know I, I've talked to my colleagues a lot and i was always I've always been surprised that many of them say they wouldn't go back into medicine because of the frustration that developed for them as they as they've taken care of patients and as they've Feel like they've been interfered with in doing the best they can. Um, the um, many many docs in in this area of Northern California where I'm living, um, you, you know, we're going to suffer a doctor shortage because they get um, turned off too, too, at too young an age, and then they stop um, their practice prematurely out of their frustration with the um, process rather than that they are no longer able to practice.
1: And all of your experiences have driven you, so to speak, to uh, give this synopsis of this current crisis in medicine, and then you also talk about the perversion of medical ethics. Right. Comment on that.
4: Well, if you're not able to do what you've been warned to do uh, if, if you're by being a provider for one insurance company uh, and they don't they won't um, allow the, the kind of treatment you're, you think is best you at that point either have a choice of opting out and doing what the insurance company will authorize or um, uh, not treating the patient or uh, not taking that insurance any longer.
1: So does greed usually pollute?
4: Yes, I think it does. I mean, unfortunately, we human beings are, are subject to, to greed, um, and, and doctors are no ex- exception. I, I know uh, a number of people that I um, think probably have, have opted out, and, and greed has prevailed.
1: Well, one of the messages in your book, uh, you state uh, citizens here in this country in the United States need to demand change. And how would that come about, do you think?
4: Well, we just have to bombard our uh, um, representatives in Congress and uh, and locally with um, what we see as uh, when conditions come up that are unfair in the medical, in the realm of medical care. And we have to make more people aware that it's happening and um, and ask for them to um, support the laws that that uh, will alter that.
1: You're also a bit concerned about being so outspoken.
4: Oh, well, you know, the, the thing is, when you get older, you don't, you, you don't care so much what uh, happens when you're outspoken um, it, you know, I, I don't have to make any new friends. I've got plenty of friends. <laughs> so if somebody wants to take uh, offense at what I've said, that's fine. But I would hope that they come back with an argument that, that uh, um, looks at what is, what's best for people, not just uh, taking opposition to what I've said.
1: So finances and social position should not govern access to medical care.
4: That's right. I agree with that.
1: That's the bottom line.
4: That's the bottom line.
1: We've been listening to Dr. J. Williams Evans. He is the author of his book, Hippocrates Weeps, an indictment for the American Healthcare system. Dr. Evans, tell us how to get your book.
4: Well, it's, uh, it's, on, it's at Amazon.com, and it's also at Noble, Barnes & Noble. And then there's a um, a website that you can order directly off the website. Just put in Hippocrates Weeps, and it will pop up there. Um, and um, I, I hope people are interested, and I thank you all for, for that interest.
1: Well, thank you, Dr. Evans, for being with us on iUniverse Radio. Oh, you're welcome, Steve. Anytime.
0: You're listening to iUniverse Radio. We'll be back right after these messages.
3: Okay, we will. We're going to teach you how to tell your money where to go. It's Intelligent Investing with Pam Otten on TogiNet. Learn how to be a savvy investor from someone who has your best interest at heart. Pam Otten is a financial advisor who loves to help successful business owners and entrepreneurs understand the mysteries of the investment world, and she's not afraid to share that knowledge. Pam is an unashamed Christian and qualified kingdom advisor, which means she's trained and committed to integrating biblical principles into her financial advice. Pam believes investing isn't rocket science. This is the financial advisor who's in your corner and truly understands and cares about you and helping you achieve your goals. Securities and advisory services are Offered through LPL Financial, member FINRA, SIPC. It's Intelligent Investing with Pam Otten on TrogiNet. Hey, moms, juggle your hats with our mom of many hats, Angie Mozilla. Friday afternoons at 5 Eastern, 4 Central on the mom to mom Network. Moms are always juggling their hats Show and Angie, check out her website azmommaminihats She is a strong woman. She is powerful. She is wonderful, and she is valuable. Mom of many hats with Angie Mazillo Friday afternoons at five Eastern, four Central on the Mom to Mom Network.
0: Welcome back to i Universe Radio with host Steve Jorgensen.
1: The title of the book: Fifteen Stitches. And the author, Rita Bayorto. And Rita joins us now on iUniverse Radio. Hello, Rita.
5: Hi.
1: Great to have you with us. Uh, First of all, we want to let everyone know, Rita is 17 years old, and she's very excited about publishing her first book. And you've been working on this for how long? Well, since I was
5: in eighth grade, so about five years.
1: Five years. Well, that's fantastic. Uh, You say this about your book, My book, Fifteen Stitches, is a story about a high school girl as she slowly heals from a trauma. As she heals, her life gets slowly intertwined with Keith, revealing a conflict between two species of mythical creatures. You also talk about these mythical creatures, uh, the griffins and the dragons. They're trying to, there's a conquest of the human race by the Griffins and, and of course, the battle between the Griffins and the Dragons and Harmony Vendico. How do you pronounce her name?
5: Uh, Yeah, that was
1: right. Harmony Vendico, uh, the uh, protagonist, the hero, uh, she gets involved probably right over her head, doesn't she?
5: Yeah.
1: (laughs) Well, first of all, let's find out how you came up with this idea how did you come up with this idea for the book, Rita?
5: Um, well, I had always really wanted to write a book, even when I was little. So I was more about, instead of having the idea and then deciding to write a book about it, I had like wanted to write the book, and then I came up with the idea. I sort of pictured sort of, like the opening chase scene in my head, and I kind of built the story up around
3: that.
1: And you also have made a very strong protagonist, female protagonists, uh, often, as you say, are solely dependent on the male love interest and and do not assume an independent, powerful role. But in this case, Harmony is very strong.
5: Well, the whole point of the story is that she sort of starts off weak and sort of feels very dependent to the reader. And then the whole point is, like, as she recovers from her trauma, that she... Becomes more independent and able to, and strong, and sort of, and that and assumes that strong female role.
1: So she, unfortunately, is the product of a dysfunctional family?
5: Mm hmm, yes.
1: Also, the victim of a brutal event?
5: Mm hmm, yes.
1: Is that something that happens in the family, this rape?
5: Uh, no, it happens um, with like a close friend. So, um, who she was trying to prevent, like getting involved in more, um, like sort of bad stuff. She was trying to prevent him from getting involved in that. So then she, and so then he turned around and kind of retaliated.
1: Who is your favorite character?
5: My favorite character is Keith Harmonies. He um, starts off as like their close friends. And then they sort of develop to have a romantic relationship.
1: And Keith uh, has got these, what you describe as, startling blue eyes, I guess. Uh, very attractive uh, eyes to harmony. But there's a, a little twist here, isn't there?
5: Yeah. He um, he actually like is genetically modified, believe it or not, to have... Um, like, sort of powers more of, like, a dragon, so his eyes are almost, like, unrealistically colored, which is the reason for that. And um, he can do all sorts of different things that, that like, dragons can do.
1: Well, that sounds uh, just what every young man would want to be able to do, turn into a dragon. <laughs> <laughs> um, now, tell us about Damon. Now, Damon is another friend.
5: Well, he... well. Keith's father used to work for his for the Griffins, but then when Keith's father left, um, Damon's father took his place, and then Damon um, also is involved in the Griffins, and he's part of like what they're doing there.
1: Now, tell us about the Griffins and and their I guess uh, quest. They have a quest. They're this mythol of mythical species, right?
5: Mm-hmm. Well, they well they basically decimated the dragon population so what now the next their next step is to try and take over the human population and they're trying to I guess build an army and um, become very strong um, in order to take over the human population so that's their, their sort of
3: goal
1: so at first Harmony just sees Keith and Damon as regular high school peers. Where is the startling discovery? When does that happen?
5: Um well she's walking in the park um with Damon and when Damon begins to tell her all of the um all all about the Griffins and the Dragons and then um the, them going to the park was actually a lure for Keith, and so that's when she discovers that Keith is not entirely human, and um, she watches him uh, transform, and, um, and that's when she fin- like, finally discovers that uh, things are not what she thought they were.
1: So Damon is here on the earth uh, for the Griffins to recapture Keith, Keith being one of the dragons. Um, yeah. so does Harmony have to go into another world to, uh, f- help fight this battle?
5: Well, not another world per se. They have like a lair underground, like a, like a whole underground system of different cities. And then she does have to go there in order to bring Keith back.
1: You have an interesting, uh, theme message in your book, you say uh, over-dependence on technology will eventually lead to its downfall. Now, a uh, 17-year-old teenager talking that way about technology, uh, boy, that's almost blasphemy, isn't it?
5: <laughs> um, well, the Griffins, um, as time has progressed, they've, they actually have a huge amount of technology more than people actually have. So um, Harmony, is, um, she knows, and then, but they've become overly dependent on it, and she knows that if she disables this technology that the Gryphons won't be able to <clears throat> take over the people and that they won't be able to come back and try and recapture Keith again. So that's sort of her goal and that's sort of that message.
1: <clears throat> Do you see a real problem in our real society with this over-dependence on technology?
5: I think so. Um, if you sort of try and imagine what would happen if all of a sudden um, it went away, like it's, everything stopped working, then we'd, we'd be in a real pickle, I guess. Like we wouldn't know, like I feel like people wouldn't know how to survive and in, like in naturally anymore.
1: Well, we are very dependent today and seems like the younger generation is completely uh, tied to modern day technology. Much more than probably the older older adults, but uh, at the same time, you also have a message in your book what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. I guess this is harmony's whole life
5: yeah, like she like as she recovers from being raped by her by her once good friend, she um Realizes that it actually did make her stronger in the end because if she's able to recover from something as traumatic as that, she can, she's strong enough to go and save her, um, one of her good friends and her romantic interests.
1: Now, tell us about the title of the book, 15 Stitches. How did you come up with that?
5: Um, well, since the book is the main plot of the book is Harmony's Healing and stitches are like whether it's for a wound or even for cloth It's they're sort of known as something that brings it together and heals it and makes it better like just as it was or even stronger than it was before
1: you also have a message in the book about true love and about sacrifice uh give us more about that
5: well i i believe that like true love it's willing to sacrifice no matter what and um Harmony is willing to even sacrifice her life for for Keith and for bringing him back from the Griffin's capture.
1: <clears throat> and time can heal all wounds.
5: That sort of goes back to Harmony's healing from her rape. She, um, as like time passes, she like goes back to like the way she was and sort of. She realizes that she can live again as time slowly passes
1: now is this a book just for teenage girls
5: um i don't think so i've a lot of uh people who have who are older um have read it um like many women in their 40s they read it and they really enjoyed it so i think it can definitely span across different um demographics
1: and also, you have this other theme in your book, be careful of who you trust.
5: Um, well, she trusted Damon. Um, she and Damon were very close, and he turned out to have all, many ulterior motives. So, um, so she, And she wasn't really aware of that. Also, um, with her good friend Robbie, she trusted him, and he also betrayed that trust
1: and Robbie's the one who raped her, right? Right, and she, while she was trying to help him, uh, he took complete dis, you know, advantage of her and uh, did something obviously horrible. Now, what about this theme with de- dealing with parental separation? You also talk about mental illness and depression. Is uh, what's where does all that go in the story?
5: Um, Well, in the story, um, Harmony's parents do separate because um, her dad sort of has a job that he doesn't tell either her mom or her about. It turns out later that he's working with with Keith's dad, Uh, but um, it sort of also leads to Harmony's um, sort of depression because um, it like doesn't help her heal any from her, from her rape.
1: We've been listening to Rita Bayorto, 17-year-old new author, uh, her book, 15 Stitches. Rita, tell us how to get your book.
5: Um, well, you can find it at the iUniverse website, and um, it's also on Amazon and Barnes and & Noble.
1: And you have a website?
5: I do. It's 15-stitches.com.
1: Fifteen-stitches.com. Rita, thanks so much for being with us on iUniverse Radio. Thank you. Congratulations.
0: iUniverse Radio is brought to you by iUniverse, the leading book marketing, editorial services, and supported self-publishing company. iUniverse Radio is produced by TogiNet Radio. Radio with a cutting edge.